this March Madness edition of To Homer and Back, the official podcast of Streaking the Lawn, you probably already picked up that this is not your normal host, Pierce. This is Paul stepping in for Pierce this week. Uh, but keeping some continuity on the program, I do have Caroline with me. Say, hey, what's up, Caroline? Hey. And our special guest this week, staff writer with CavsCorner.com, formerly of Streaking the Lawn, you know him, you love him, Justin Ferber. What's up, Justin? Uh, not not too much, man. Just making my glorious return. <laughs> we are very glad to have you back on the program this uh, this big week for UVA sports, but specifically UVA basketball. We are going to be talking basketball for the next 30, 45 minutes right here on to Homer and back. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in. Uh, we all, all watched the Hampton game, the Butler game. I think the Hampton game kind of speaks for itself, but Justin and what did you see in the Butler game? What's what was your big takeaway from that that win in the round of thirty two? Well, funny story actually. Um, when the Butler game was happening, I was at a wedding, so I got to watch it after the fact. Nice. After all, <laughs> boo! <laughs> right. Yeah, I hope you but got that kind of worked to my advantage, possible. just because that kind of worked to my advantage, just because it took a little bit of the edge off. Um, but I think the thing that kind of struck me the most was just how aggressive they were coming out of the locker room. And, uh, you know, just you could see the different players, especially Shayok and Brogdon and Gill. I mean, you could see they kind of ratcheted up another level. And uh, when you play Butler, who I think is a good team, and, and I knew that was going to be kind of a tough game. But uh, I was pretty impressed with how aggressive everybody came out of the locker room. And, you know, I think Tony probably got in their ears a little bit at halftime, but still good to see that, especially, you know, against the team that it was kind of a low-scoring game in the first half. So, um, just to kind of come out with the aggressiveness that they did and uh, try to, you know, outscore Butler in a way instead of trying to just grind it out uh, was good to see, I think. Yeah, definitely. That, I mean, a 54-point outburst and a half, that's um, not something we're used to seeing from our, our deliberately paced who's. Um, but, Caroline, how about you? What, are, what was your, uh, your big takeaway from, from uh, over the weekend? Well, so I was there. Uh, we decided to go down um, after the Hampton game. Um, drove down to lovely Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and my mom called me after the game. It's a little bit, you know, flash forward. And she's like, oh, did you have a good time? And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, I didn't. That was awful. Um, and by awful, I mean, it was just stressful. It was like, I mean, we all, you watched it. It was just a back and forth affair of two good basketball teams playing a good game of basketball. And I think some was, that second half was just absurd. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a half of basketball like that. And I've watched a ton. And a lot of it was obviously Butler's a good team. I think some of the shots that they took, you could classify in the, wow, I can't believe that went in category, but they have players like Roosevelt Jones, a fantastic player. And it's a shame that he's graduating. You won't get to see him play anymore because he's just this very specific, unique type of player. I've never seen, I mean, they talked about his build for a point guard, but the way he handled himself, and how he turned it on when Malcolm shut down Shiraz. I'm not going to pretend to know how to say his name, actually. So he's Shiraz <laughs> to me. Um, it's perfect. UVA, wine. You know, we fit our stereotypes well. Why make not? everyone Why happy. Not? Why not? Um, but it was, it was like Ferber said, it's like it was almost a different team. And it was kind of, if it wasn't Tony and, and Malcolm, it would be like a big middle finger to the rest of the basketball being like, all right, fine. You don't want us to win with defense. We'll go out and win one with offense. And they did. They won it with offense. They were shooting 92%. They're like 12 with 13 to start the second half. Like that is insane. Um, and I just, it 
goes to show that there's just multiple ways that this year's team can beat you, not just we're going to bore you to death or wear you down and hope that our defense takes us to the point where we can make that, you know, couple shots we need to start a little cavalier and win that way. So it was, it was exciting to see them do something like that at this stage too. Sure. I, th- I think we also, that the defensive shift of putting Brogdon on Crow, Crowbash, Shiraz. We'll go with Shiraz. We'll call him Shiraz. Shiraz. Can we call him Shiraz? I call him Andrew. That's Andrew. Yeah, I guess that works too. I guess he does have a first name, but for the purposes of this podcast, let's call, keep calling him Shiraz because, well, I find that amusing. Um, what we also that that was that was the defensive shift was Brogdon going on to the guy who'd gone off for them in the first half. Justin, when you were when you were watching it, what? seemed to spark the offensive shift was there one thing was there one guy that that sort of looked way different way better way sharper in the second half or was it sort of an across the board thing I think it was more of an across the board thing like I said it kind of goes back to the I think the mindset they came out of the locker room with but at the same time I think it's kind of hard not to be impressed with the way that Mario played um mm-hmm. in the second half I mean he uh, I mean, somebody put it on Twitter that he kind of has a lot of like, no, 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 yes moments. But I think that's not, I'm starting to not say no as much just because he seems so, I mean, sometimes when he gets in that aggressive mindset, it kind of, it works for him. Um, as long as he's getting good looks, I think he can, you know, make a difference for this team. He ended up uh, four for nine from the field, one for two from three. Um, but he made a couple big plays down the stretch that I think were important. And then Mike Toby, of course, um, gave a lift off the bench as well with 10 points going five for five. And then obviously, you know, what you got, what you expect from Brogdon in a game where they needed to win and needed points. Um, but it was good to see those role players step up. And I think that's really the key to this team's success going forward. Yeah. That, that seems like what it's been all year is, is who is going to be that other guy, whether it's, you know, a, a fourth person in addition to the big three or, you know, maybe one of the one of the big three of Gill and Perantes and Brogdon is is off, and sort of who's going to step in and be the third. But it, it looks like it has been Mario in the last couple of games. And I think some of that has to do with he's he's finally feeling better. That for a shooter to injure a wrist, that's something that even when you're good to go to go back into a game and play defense, you know, it's not like an ankle or something that's going to limit your mobility. But it, it seems like he was a little bit unsure of how his wrist was going to function coming back from that injury. And it's taken him, you know, a, a three, four games of sort of getting his feet under himself um, on defense, doing other things on offense to sort of get that shooting touch back. Um, Caroline, was there something you saw as sort of a, sort of an offensive spark? Yeah. Well, it was more on the Marial subject, kind of a, a little anecdote, if you will. So we got to our seats in, the maybe the most obnoxious North Carolina fan that exists was a seat over from me and came in and um, probably been having a good time earlier today, but immediately starts dropping F bombs about you. Uh, F Virginia, like, like actively cheering against Virginia, which is fine. You know, and he even said to his buddy, like, Oh, I just don't want to see them again, man. Which is nice to kind of elicit that um, response from a team that has the history and you know blue bloodness that Carolina does. But um, there was one point in the first half, you know, he's cheering against Mariel and all this stuff, and uh, it was when Mariel had that pull-up jumper from just inside the arc um, while moving. It was a phenomenal shot. One of those, I think, verbs what you're talking about, where people are saying that no, 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 yes. Um, but where now that he's been doing these more consistently, it's less scary. 
but the kid just basically sat down and like golf clap and was like, nothing you can do about that. That was just nasty. And so it's kind of, Mariel's becoming that guy and it's nice to see him become so confident. He had a couple great shots against, against Hampton. Um, and it's nice to see him hit the stride and really take it. Um, and to what you said about Toby as well, reckless abandon Toby, I think still is around, which is very enjoyable because coming in and getting nine points and sorry, 10 points in nine minutes with two offensive boards, um, there's not much that you can complain about maybe a little bit on the defensive end, but um, obviously he wasn't in for matchup reasons and that exists mostly on the defensive end. But um, Ferbs is there after watching a game in the whole season. Can you make a case, even if it's not a strong one or whatever your opinion is for Malcolm Brogdon for player of the year? Hmm. Um, I guess there's a case to be made if they keep winning, but right now I think it would be kind of hard for it not to be healed. Um, I think Michigan state losing when they did kind of ended Denzel Valentine's chances to win. Um, But yeah, I mean, you can make that case for Malcolm, especially, and I think what the ACC has been doing in the tournament has kind of helped this case just because, um, you know, he, you could say he was the best player in the best league, um, got one of the best teams deep into the tournament. But I, I mean, it just, is the case there to be made? Yeah, maybe, um, especially on how well he plays on the defensive end. Um, I don't expect him to win it, but yeah. I think the case is there to be made. Um, usually it goes to like a score, and I, I mean, Heald is tremendous. He's just a great player. Um, he's a great college player. I think he'll be a good pro. Um, Malcolm, I think in another year maybe, he could have won this award. I mean, he would have been like the perfect candidate for it in a lot of ways, right? I mean, he's a senior um, he plays great offense and defense. He's a leader. Um, he's, he's, you know, like I said, he's kind of like the top dog on a good team, a great team um, in a great league. So, yeah, I think you can make that case, but um, I think you can also make a great case for Heald, and you can also make a good case for Valentine as well. I yeah. think you're – yeah, I think it's – sorry, Paul. Um, just absolutely. Up until um, Sunday, I was 100% like, okay, Heald is just incredible. And I still think Heald is just incredible. And he's a great guy. And I love watching him play. But after seeing what he did to Shiraz, I, I just, it was completely game changing and he is game changing on both ends of the court. And up until then I was like, yeah, he's good. But I think part of it too, is he's, he wasn't as flashy or he's never been flashy. That's not a thing. But, you know, the possessions and his points for game being 18 and not 25, it, it looks different. But then I just, I don't know. You're right. I think he'll is deserving, and I think he's fantastic. I just think that last stretch, it would have been cool to at least see his name maybe in the discussion. Um, but I, just, I think Malcolm has been just incredible. Yeah, I, the, I think there's probably a stronger case for Malcolm to be defensive player of the national defensive player of the year when yeah and, and the case to be made is I think essentially two games NC State and Duke it is one guy who can shut down both Cat Barber and Brandon Ingram that's yeah. that that is that is freakish defensive ability um and I I've sort of resigned myself to accepting that Heald is almost certainly going to be player of the year um because like you said, it, it generally goes to a score. Um, there's been much more sort of narrative that 
Buddy Heald is the player of the year. Everybody's sort of accepted that, it seems like, for a month and a half. Um, I'm more focused on can Brogdon be a consensus All-American? Uh, he, you know, he's, half, he's halfway there. He's on two of the four teams already. Uh, it seems like if you're the ACC player of the year and you're the first player in ACC history to win player of the year and defensive player of the year, it's going to be really, really hard for anybody to anybody who knows what they're talking about to shut him out of a first team All American ballot. Um, so that's that's more sort of what I'm hoping for at this point. It, I I would be ecstatic if he won Player of the Year. I would be disappointed if he wasn't consensus All American. And that's that's sort of the where I see the difference and sort of how the national media looks at Brogdon right now. Um, but. And I'd, I'd agree with that, too. Yeah. yeah. Talking, talking about Brogdon's defense, I think, is a good way to start talk, looking ahead and talking about Iowa State because I know that sort of among uh, our, our blog staff, that's been the hot topic of conversation is, is who is Brogdon <laughs> um, Oh, well, the, the, the other hot topic of conversation being talking Caroline down off the ledge. Um, <laughs> I'm panicking, people. Why? That's what the NCAA Literally. tournament's all about. Exactly. Okay. I know. What? Let's let's somebody's got to lose. Treat this. Let's treat this. This is a safe place. You can you yeah. can talk to us and and let's lay out the fears. Let's let's walk through it. What is it that's that's got you nervous about about Friday night's game? I, I've I've boiled it down to literally one thing, and that is I'm not ready for it to be Anthony and Malcolm and Mike and Evan and Cade's last game. And that, I think that's legitimately, like, where I'm at right now because Sweet 16 is an accomplishment. You're playing a tough team in Iowa State that's got the second-ranked Ken Palm offense. Like, it, there is no shame at this point. The narrative will still exist, like, oh, can Tony Mettick do it? Did he choke again because they have the easiest path, according to BPI? Like, whatever, I don't care. I think that's the biggest thing because I watch all these, like, all these games where the post-game conferences where the – Coaches are talking about their seniors, and I cannot handle it yet. Like, <laughs> not ready. And I think that this type of team has been like that. Sorry, Iowa State. Um, I'm just ready for the next person to have their career night, like Shiraz. Like that's that's my biggest fear. Like, how are we going to limit, you know, one person from going off for, you know, 25 points? I think Miang is going to get his regardless because he's a fantastic player. But if we just need to limit the outside guys, so if someone talk me off the ledge. Tell me, Ferber, why why is Virginia going to win that? Uh, uh, yeah, I, just going back to kind of where you started, I think that fear is how every game starts at this time of the year for everybody. It's kind of like yeah, that's what this turn. That's what makes it so great. I mean, some teams are going to win, and you kind of exhale, and then other teams lose. I mean, think about those Butler players. You know, <laughs> somebody had to lose that game. So, I know. Um, not, but I, mean, I don't think, I don't think you're helping here for herbs. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just saying everybody. Um, I'm getting so closer think, to the edge here. <laughs> no, I think I think it's just when, once you accept the fact that it's like these tournaments are do or die. It's like you kind of just have to like, all right, let's just go play the basketball game now. But um, yeah, I think UVA can win because they're going to have to play great defense. But um, just being efficient on both ends, like Iowa State doesn't have a great defense, so you can exploit that in a number of different ways. Um, but also it's like, you know, I think Iowa State, the tempo, this won't be a tempo. I mean, they're used to games where they have dealt, you know, 10 more possessions than this. And I mean, trying to 
cram your offense into 10 fewer possessions is, is tough for any team, especially a team that's just not used to playing that disciplined style of basketball. And I'm not saying Iowa State doesn't have disciplined players, but I mean, it's a lot. And I think we've seen this over the last years, but it's a lot easier to say how you're going to like probe UVA defense than it is to do it. Um, like once you get out there on the court, it's a totally different ball game. And I think the pace, I mean, they're going to play at UVA's pace. I have no doubt. So I think that and the fact that um, Iowa State doesn't draw a lot of fouls, UVA doesn't foul a whole lot, um, I think that plays in UVA's favor. And I think UVA can, you know, if they can just work the ball around on offense and run, you know, the sets the way they did against Butler, it's going to be hard for Iowa State, a pretty pedestrian defense, to to stop them. And, I mean, it's just going to come down to whether they can get stops like they normally do or whether they let Iowa State kind of dictate to them when they're on offense, I think. How much do you think uh, depth might play a factor that um, they, they only run sort of six or seven guys sort of through their rotation? Is that something that UVA's deliberate pace can take advantage of? Certainly, you know, you, you generally think about wearing, wearing down short benches by going out and running on them. Um, but is, is UVA style of play capable of wearing down a team that doesn't play as many guys as, as some other systems do. What do you think, Justin? Absolutely. I think that um, it, this would be a game that maybe coming off of less rest would be a little bit, even, you know, more of an advantage for UVA. At least Iowa State gets a few days off before this one. But yeah, I mean, I think we've seen in the past where some teams like, you know, the first half you can kind of play your normal basketball game. But once you get to that, you know, under 16, under 12 timeout, it starts to wear on you, especially you know, if you have anybody that's in foul trouble and you have to go with the same five guys for an extended period of time, I think that's a huge advantage. Uh, I mean, sometimes there have been some teams like Duke that have been able to overcome it, but it takes a lot of threes, which, you know, Iowa State's a very good three-point shooting team, so that'll be something to watch. But it, you, you have to find an advantage to kind of, like, make up for the fact that UVA is just going to wear you down. How big is Anthony Gill in this game? He's obviously played well the first two with, you know, 19 points each game, seven and eight rebounds, you know, how big of a factor. And if not Gil, like who do you think is the next guy that you need to see something from for Virginia to be comfortable in this game? Yeah, I think Anthony's going to have to have a big game. Um, I mean, he's shown the ability to do that in big spots, but uh, especially this game with the way Niang plays, he's got a kind of an old school game. I mean, he's really good around the rim. He can finish really well. Uh, he can shoot from the outside. He can do different things to try to, you know, like score in the paint. So I think rim protection and just closing out. And, you know, if you're, if you're um, uh, double teaming in the post, you have to get back. I mean, that kind of stuff is going to be huge in this game, especially against a team that has like really crisp passes. Um, as far as like who else would be good to see step up, um, I, I'm starting to think about guys that are going to have to, like on the defensive end, I think Wilkins, if he draws the Niang assignment off the bat, because Niang's about the same, uh, he's pretty much his matchup size-wise and where he plays in the lineup, I think that'll be huge. Um, and also UVA, like Devin Hall, um, him and Wilkins and Hall, especially on the defensive end, I think you're going to have to have big games because Hall's going to have to close out on Iowa State shooters like Thomas and Morris. Um, so, I mean, I think his help defense along with, you know, obviously everybody knows how good of a defender Brogdon is, but Hall's going to have to be in the right spots. And I think Wilkins, if he draws that assignment on Yang off the, off the you know, break of the game, um, he's going to have to show up. And if not, then they're going to have to find a way to shut him down and not let him exploit, you know, match. If he gets put on Brogdon, he has a size advantage. If he gets put on Gill, he has a, you know, quickness and 
he can stretch Gill out a little bit. So I think Wilkins is perfect for him. So if he can, you know, find a way to kind of like hang with him for a little bit, then I think UVA will be fine. Also, so obviously Coach Bennett is not, you know, the pack line gets back. That's part of the way they limit transition and fast break points. It's worked against teams like Carolina and Duke. Do you think because Iowa State has a weakness in rebounding that coach might be more willing to leave someone like Isaiah or Anthony to kind of crash the boards with two guys? Or is he going to go even more conservative to get guys back to prepare for uh, fast break attempts by Iowa State? Yeah, so in the past, I think the way that UVA usually does it, even in these situations, is they kind of, instead of trying to kind of hedge on the way they play, they just keep playing the way they play, even if there is a schematic advantage and think that, you know, maybe they can exploit it even more. So I don't think, you know, they usually don't try to make a change like that where they crash more. It's kind of just like they think that they can use a matchup advantage that's already there and just keep playing that way. Um, So I would expect them to kind of keep doing what they do. Um, and like you said, they might even get more conservative, of, you know, how they do that, considering how Iowa State kind of struggles in that way because they don't have not a really big team. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't expect them to go like ultra aggressive on the boards because that's just not the way he does things. Yeah, and it, it is strange that for some reason coming into this game, I had been when I sort of first started sitting down to look at it, I had in my head that Iowa State's a big team that plays through the post. Because, you know, there's all this talk about sort of Georges Niang, their, their big post guy, but he's pretty much their tallest player, their tallest player who plays at least that, that in terms of size, we, we match up with them very well. Um, which the, the only other team that I can think of that has, that has that same sort of profile that, um, one guy that is of a sort of a, a big matchup problem in that sort of six, seven to six, nine. My panicky side says Clemson and Jerron Blossom game with a better supporting cast. Um, that the way that we just weren't able to stop Blossom game, we won those Clemson games by stopping everybody else. Um, so what has me a little bit nervous is what the everybody else on Iowa State is. Um, who are the guys, Caroline, uh, if you wanted to jump in here, who are the other guys on Iowa State that you look at and say, okay, that's the guy we know Yang's going to get his, but that's the guy that maybe Malcolm has to be on to shut him down so that we, so there's just one guy trying to beat us. And as we've seen, that doesn't happen against Virginia. Um, yeah. Well, so I don't want to mispronounce it. Nadir, Nader. Nader. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's he, Nader. He's like one Ralph that, Nader. You know, okay. I was like, I am probably you know, no, Ralph no Nader. <laughs> Ralph, uh, my buddy Ralph, I, I'm a little worried about him. He's, he's a tough player. But the biggest thing for me is going to be Monty Morris and containing the assist machine that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I, I think that London would be able to do a relatively good job on him. Um, but also it'd be nice to see that you can rotate a few players around on him, Darius, Devin Hall, um, but he averages, I want to say, I'm sorry if this is wrong, but over six assists per game um, and not a lot of turnovers. He's a really solid player with the ball. Um, and the biggest thing is going to be if we limit his ability to feed where he wants to feed and kind of dictate what Monty Morris is doing, what Morris is doing, then I think that would be a huge benefit for Virginia because Niang is so, Niang is so 
versatile in the post. He can, like you said, he can take long shots. He can go over either shoulder, hook shots, you know, anything that he, he's got a good set of skills down low. So if we can really smother and yang and make it difficult for Morris to get the good looks that he wants to, to try and get it to the interior. I think that's going to be the biggest key for Virginia defensively. I don't know. Uh, for what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, it's just going to like Monty Morris. I think, I mean, that's a matchup for Perantis. I mean, that's how it's going to have to be just considering the, the other wings. I mean, I think it's going to be exactly like you said, I think, It'll, you know, the way that they'll match up right out of the gate, it'll be Parantis on Morris. I think Brogdon will take Abdel Nader um, just because he's 6'6", and I think that's a little bit too much length and, and skill for Hall off the off the break. Um, I think Hall will end up on Matt Thomas, um, former UVA recruit at one point, um, which is kind of interesting. And he, he I think, is going to be kind of a key to this game as well, just the way he shoots the three, 43% from three, I think. Um, so, I mean, that's obviously one of the reasons that Tony recruited him so hard. Um, but, and then I think, you know, it'll, Niang will end up on with Wilkins and, uh, but uh, yeah, I think Perantis has to be able to stay in front of Morris. who's really quick. Um, but also kind of respect his jump shot as well. So basically just like keeping him out of the paint and not letting him drive and kick the open shooters or find uh, easy baskets for Niang, I think will be crucial. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely look at Thomas. That, that's that's the one that I look at. That you know, he shoots almost three times as many three pointers as he does, you know, uh, inside the arc. He only gets used on about fourteen or fifteen percent of their possessions. So this is a guy that is not a traditional focus of their offense, but is really good at shooting the three. Oh yeah, we've gotten to experience that a bunch this year. Um, so he's the career high guy that we're going to see, right? Exactly. He he is he is Iowa State Shiraz, if you will. Um, yeah. yeah. So seeing seeing, I think probably Devin Hall on him, um, Brogdon shifting over if need be, but I would be more comfortable with Brogdon, like you said, shutting down, maybe even Monte Morris um, to, that sort of stop the feed, stop the rest of the offense and let Devin and Mario sort of mark up on that, on that wing and use their length to stop or, or at least disrupt his shots. That's, that's what I'm hoping um, ends up working out well for UVA. Um, but definitely the other big, big key is tempo. Um, and we talked about it a little bit when we start first started talking about Iowa state, you know, for, you said about, about trying to squeeze your offense into 10 fewer possessions, how how did UVA go about controlling the tempo in this one based on what you've seen from how UVA plays, how Iowa State plays? Uh, what What's the single biggest key to playing this game in the style that UVA wants? I think, yeah, like like we said, kind of just getting back and setting. Um, I mean, that's the, like against North Carolina, that's the biggest key you see is just like, um, you know, North Carolina gets the rebound under the basket. Joel Berry gets the ball. He takes, you know, five quick dribbles. He looks up and the defense is ready. Um, that's not something they normally see. They're usually able to kind of like get into a flow on the offensive end without, you know, being able to, without having to face a half court defense, which is a huge advantage for them with all the skill and athleticism that they have. Um, and Iowa State's not that, I mean, they're not going to run and gun that much. They want to, you know, get the ball down the court though. And I think another thing is just not letting them get easy baskets on like a quick dribble, you know, into around the three point line and then finding Yang anywhere around the basket where he could just 
you know, easily to scoop, you know, scoop it up and score um, that kind of stuff. Just like, don't allow easy. And I, I don't even say transition buckets, but like one pass buckets where it's like they get, they get down, they get in the rhythm, but you know, not everybody's ready. And one guy gets it and shoots it. Cause they're not afraid to shoot early in the shot clock as they've shown all year long. So I think just being ready for those types of early shot clock shots, especially from three, is going to be huge. Yeah. And I think that the other thing that's, delightful now this time being a Virginia fan is like London's going to play his game and I'm comfortable. I'm confident in that. Like I'm very comfortable in the pace. Um, my thing offensively for Virginia is don't settle for, for long jumpers, especially not early. Um, get the ball inside drive and kick something where they're not settling for these just inside the, the three point arc long jumpers that have kind of plagued the slow starts that were seen in a lot of the struggle, struggle city games that Virginia had. Um, but I think it's just going to be a consistent defensive performance. If it's anything like what we've seen since basically the wake forest game, um, I think it's when the defense really turned around. So the way I look at this game, how I tell myself when I talk myself off the ledge during the day, when all of a sudden I start going, Oh my God, basketball on Friday is they have an outstanding offense. We have an outstanding defense. To me, those two will end up kind of negating each other. Obviously, they're going to score points. We're going to stop them a few times, hopefully more than a few times. But where it really lies is that Virginia also has the number six efficient offense in the country. Like, our Virginia's offense is not a slouch by any means. And when you said, like you said it perfectly, they've got a pedestrian defense. They're 94th in Ken Palm. That's where the advantage is, clearly. So Virginia has to be able to take advantage but not waste opportunities, which means limiting turnovers and playing smart on the offensive end to just kind of replicate the second half of Butler. Like, just take it to them, and they should be able to build the lead that way. If I look at it, if I'm trying to be, you know, cool, calm, and collected. That's how I have to look at the stats. But Ferber, do you think they have any, or or Paul, uh, I know one of the things that could happen is a, a trap post on our bigs. Does that pose a big problem, do you think? Or do you think our guys are pretty prepared to deal with that? Justin, why don't you roll with this one first? I think, I mean, considering how much of the pack line they see in practice, they should be pretty prepared for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think they'll be all right. Um I mean, Gil had a team high four assists on, on Friday or Thursday. So, I mean, obviously he's able to pass out of, you know, some tricky situations sometimes. Um, you know, I will say something that um, sometimes in the past, and I don't think it's a reflection necessarily of the coaching or anything, but um, Tony's teams have had a tendency to um, have some rough moments in the situations where they – see situ you know, see things that they haven't seen a lot. Um, think about, you know, times they've had to try to break presses and stuff. Even this year, I mean, they've had, you know, issues here and there with that. So, I mean, that kind of stuff, any kind of wrinkle and Steve Prom is a great coach. I mean, I know a lot of people have made a point saying, you know, like, you know, Hoyberg's gone, but Steve Prom's career record is like ninety and eighteen or something crazy like that. So um, I mean, I think obviously he's a great offensive coach. So I think they'll try to throw some different things at UVA on both ends of the floor, but 
I mean, EVA, Tony and all those guys, I mean, they've broken down probably like every Iowa State game at this point. So um, I think they'll be prepared for pretty much anything. Yeah, I have, I have a ton of, you know, Anthony's uh, clear enjoyment of being asked about being the true point guard during the uh, the post-game press conference was was pretty fun. Um, but Anthony, and but especially Isaiah, um, he his low post passing, finding Gil, finding Toby, um, or turning it back out and sort of recognizing that the post is dead and letting the guards reset the offense. Uh, he's made a lot of really good decisions down low. Um, I was initially really enamored of him because of his ability to sort of hit that, that elbow jumper, that, that outside shot. Uh, and thankfully that's kind of come back into his game recently after, after dropping off, but that low post passing, um, is, is something that I think Isaiah really makes, um, makes makes him an integral part of of this offense against a team that might try and um make up for being a little bit smaller in the post with with using their athleticism in in sort of a trapping way so um i think we we've covered pretty much everything we can about about iowa state i, I think it's time to get get down to brass tacks uh justin how do you see it how do you see it playing out what are you bold enough to to predict uh, an outcome, maybe a final score for us. Sure. Uh, I think UVA wins a close game, um, a game that they lead most of the way, but I think it'll be pretty close. Iowa State, I mean, you know, Caroline made a good point about thinking about, like, the impact it would have, you know, on the seniors knowing that it's do or die at this point with so much on the line. Um, but Iowa State's kind of in the same spot. So yeah. I think their seniors aren't just going to go out easily or anything like that. So, um, I expect a pretty close competitive game, a higher scoring game than you see in most, but uh, kind of similar maybe to how the Butler game ended up score-wise. I think I'm thinking 72-66 or so, uh, like a two-possession win for UVA. Uh, I just think their defense is going to make Iowa State play a game that makes them really uncomfortable. And UVA has enough enough depth to you know overcome any – you know, like skill and size, you know, not size advantages, but skill advantages. And just like they can throw bodies at Iowa State. If they have to play a little faster than normal, so be it. But they're going to play a lot slower than Iowa State's used to. So I think UVA can do that. The uh, the crowd should be interesting. I'm interested to see how that impacts the game. But overall, I think this is a game that UVA can win. And I think it's a better matchup than Purdue would have been if they had gotten to this point. So I think UVA can't be too upset with how it's played out. Caroline, what about you? Oh, it's my turn. Um, okay. <laughs> with Even with all my whining over the, I don't know. I think maybe this is why I'm panicking is because I look at this and I, I think that if, if Virginia shoots well, I don't see a situation in which they don't win. Oh my God, that was terrifying. Um, so I think it's going to be close at halftime. And then it's going to be kind of the prototypical UVA game that you saw last year where after halftime, it's close, it's close, it's tied at, you know, 43. And then Virginia is going to go on a run. I don't know if that run's going to be as big. I think at the end, I'm, I like Justin's score prediction, but I'm going to go something like 74, 63. I think they get the double digit win with free throws down the stretch. Wow. Interesting. I'm terrified. Saying that out loud, I'm <laughs> terrified. <laughs> it's all right. No one's going to. Iowa State. Iowa State is a phenomenal. Like they've got really good pieces, and they've got 
senior players. They start three seniors and two juniors. Like that, I, I think that there's in, I have a lot of respect for their program, for their coach that came in and took over. And there was really no lull from what they had Hoiberg doing there. So I, I think there's two great, and it should be an exciting game because it's, potent offense versus potent defense and then also potent offense but that no one wants to talk about because it's ours so who cares but I, I think it'll be a well-fought game with Virginia pulling away down the stretch yeah I'll make I'll make it a unanimous opinion I, I've Justin your your score prediction sounds almost identical to what I was thinking somewhere in the UVA in the low to mid 50 low to mid 70s yeah you know, Iowa State somewhere in the mid to high 60s um about a two possession game. I'll, I'll say 74, 67, just to throw a number out there. Uh, before we wrap up, um, stepping out of our shoes as, as UVA basketball fans for a minute and just sort of looking at the, the, the rest of the tournament as just basketball fans, Justin, what, what's the game outside of Virginia and Iowa state that you're looking forward to the most, uh, Thursday, Friday, uh, and then what's the matchup you most want to see Saturday, Sunday? No, oh, man, that's a great question. Um, really excited for UNC Indiana. Uh, I think that's going to be an awesome game. Um, that one and Kansas, Maryland's kind of intriguing on a, you know, like a, just a different kind of level, I guess. I think Kansas will win that game, but it'll be interesting to see if Maryland, who is kind of, I feel like underachieved as a five uh, can kind of hang with them. But I mean, Indiana is a, a regular season champion of their league and, and UNC is a regular season and tournament champion of theirs. And I think that's like two talented teams with good coaches. So I think it'll be, you know, that'll be a hell of a game. Um, and then, you know, you said what matchup this weekend, maybe. Um, hmm. I think Kansas Miami is sort of intriguing if that happens. Um Oklahoma Duke, if that would happen, I think that would be really awesome uh, just to see Buddy go against that, you know, like Duke lineup. Uh, and obviously, you know, in North Carolina's bracket, I, I see North Carolina coming out of that bracket if they can get by Indiana, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, who else comes out of that other side of the bracket and if they get another tough matchup after this one um, with, you know, whichever team comes out of that other game. It doesn't matter. Uh, they're both good. So, um, it's you know I think all the I think it's been a great tournament and I'm really glad that despite all the upsets I mean everybody loves Cinderella but despite all the upsets it's kind of uh, interesting to see that there's still like a lot of chalk in the bracket and a lot of really good teams so definitely excited for UNC Indiana though and then obviously I'll have an eye on who you know the Syracuse Gonzaga game if UVA is able to win the early game against Iowa State. Sure, Caroline, how about you? Yeah, I think all the games that Ferber mentioned have a lot of appeal. Kansas, Maryland will be really interesting. Um, it's just such an, a fascinating matchup. You've got the backstory with Mark Turgeon playing at Kansas. And then there's Maryland who hasn't really been that stellar as all that stellar as people expected them to be over the course of the season or in the tournament. So I think the, the overarching idea is that Kansas is going to wipe the floor with them, but it's a tournament. So you never know what's going to happen. I actually am really excited about Miami Villanova. I don't know why, but I just think it'd be so much fun to watch. Um, and Notre Dame, Wisconsin. I think that'll be a really cool one because Wisconsin's just kind of snuck up and was like, oh, yeah, they won again. Oh, yeah, they won again. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, Wisconsin's a Sweet 16 team? How did this happen? Um, but I actually think, and I don't know if anyone else agrees, I think there's a pretty legit chance that all of the ACC teams advance, and there are, and there are six 
in the Elite Eight. I think it could happen. I don't know. Be interesting, but. So I'm. I, you said Miami Villanova. That's the one that has me the most interested. Um, you, you talk about a tournament plays is, is usually focused on on guard play, um, and Villanova's got that in spades. Uh, but you sort of the contrast of styles that that Miami's got. Uh, certainly good, a good guard and and Angel Rodriguez, but dominant bigs and wings. Um, interested in sort of the, the clash of styles there. Um, and then a a matchup to look forward to. I really, I think Oregon can get past Duke. I think Oregon's taken the disrespect that's been heaped on them and, and really made it a tool, um, and I would be really interested in, in, in an Oregon-Oklahoma matchup uh, in the regional finals down in the West. Um, just seeing, having Dylan Brooks and, and the rest of that, that Oregon team that's been kind of flying under the radar um, this year, but blocks every shot that goes into the lane, seeing how Oklahoma sort of confront, confronts that. Another sort of clash of styles maybe um, with a little bit more backcourt versus, versus big focus. So, uh, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm mostly looking forward to a big weekend an exciting weekend. What are you guys plans? Where are you going to be watching the games? Justin? Uh, I don't know. I think Friday I'll probably have to watch in my house just to keep myself a little contained. Um, <laughs> might go out in Arlington on Saturday or something and watch the games, but no real definite plans yet, but definitely going to be like camped out for Thursday and Friday in the living room. Nice, Caroline. You 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 may have any big plans, or you've got you've got a lucky spot. Can you tell us? Is it yeah. a location? Well, that that thing is like I can't. I don't know if I can. I can I won't tell you where, but there's a spot that I go that I have a table, and I've got a specific beer. I've got it all. You know, we've got a whole system. Um, so that will be Friday for sure, and hopefully, I will also be doing that on Sunday. Um, but for Thursday and Saturday, just kind of, I don't know, I might go watch a couple games out with friends tomorrow night or, you know, whatever it is tonight, whenever this uh, goes live to the public. Um, yeah, those games should be really fun. I'm glad that Virginia has the first game on Friday, um, because it's kind of like, all right, let's do it. Part of me wishes it was just the first game on Thursday (laughs) and it could just be a thing that happens. Um, but yeah, it should be, I've got, you know. All my stuff, all my my usual away game ritual is ready to go, and I won't expound on that much further. Well, hey, whatever whatever you've been doing, it's been working so far. So keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Same same goes for everybody listening. Wherever you're watching the game this Friday, uh, I hope you're watching it with friends, fellow Wahoos. Uh, thanks for getting ready for the game by by listening to us here on To Homer and Back. Uh, stay tuned to Streaking the Lawn for all of your NCAA tournament needs. Uh, And as always, go Hoops. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile. And there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. 
Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today.